Welcome to Geek Gab on the Books. I'm Brian Niemeyer, brianniemeyer.com. And with me are two very special guests. We have Alfred Jennison from the Injustice Gamer blog, turning out just fantastic, short and sweet, but in-depth reviews of the full revolution yeah. and beyond. We also have book club, Ethan Housley. Also from the Pulp Archivist and several other blogs. Linked below. Hello. Sorry, man. I just had a thing I need to take care of real quick. This is live radio, folks. <laughs> this is how you know that did pre-recorded. So, topic today is crime and suspense stories. This is based on a listener suggestion, specifically a question about uh, crime suspense stories as pulp. Since we only have one guest who's currently at the microphone, um. how about we begin with... How about we begin with the definition of pulp? Because I think a, a lot of people are still somewhat unsure of what that is. There's a, <laughs> excuse me. There's a number of different ways he could def uh, could define it. I know with the uh, current pulp revolution, um, we use uh, Misha Burnett's. Uh, uh, criteria, if you'll give me a moment to uh, pull that up. But the idea behind um, this differs from what you might see with uh, New Pulp. New Pulp uh, is kind of steampunky as far as it's using pulp as a uh, setting. So it kind of sticks with that 1930s to 1950s classic uh, pulp time and, uh, time and place. But uh, with Pulp Revolution and with uh, uh, Pulp in general, um, you know, can be applied to different, you know, different settings, whether it be uh, the uh, uh, future of, uh, you know, lens, the Lensman series or, uh, 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 you know, Conan or, uh, uh, oh, man. Not just um, or Mars, uh, for uh, for instance, or you know, pulps were actually you know, pulps were also uh, turn of the century too. So a little bit, a little bit more of an underlap uh, between like a Penny Dreadful or you know, we're still kind, of, we're still pinning some of the uh, particulars down for those like me who like to define things. Sorry. But no, that was great. So, I've I've heard pulp described more as an aesthetic than a genre. Would Would you agree with that? Well, I would. Um, I'd also point out that um, pulp has uh, multiple definitions. One, the it got its name, for instance, for what the paper that uh, was printed off of. 
So kind of really rough, cheap paper that was put together, sold, for, uh, stories were collected, sold for a dime, sold for five cents um, through the um, like 1900 to 19, uh, uh, 1950, roughly. You'll also hear slicks. Slicks, again, uh, paper, uh, higher quality paper paid a little bit, paid a little bit more. Um, pulp, bringing it back to the types of stories, um, pulp was very much uh, an aesthetic, a little bit more of an, a little bit more of an uh, attitude, very much um, adventure, mystery, a little bit of romance, a uh, little bit, little taste of the exotic, but always sincere. Uh, you don't see the irony or the, um, like, um, I'm a big anime fan, so Lupin the Third. Uh, hmm. Uh, takes place in the 60s. You have that Mad Magazine vibe to it where, yeah, it's kind of sincere in its action, but there's always that wink and nod to the audience. You don't quite see that as much with the pulps. And then the subjects the pulps cover, uh, you've seen anything from um, obviously science fiction, fantasy, horror, uh, weird menace, which combined uh, detect or uh, detective stories with a little bit of the supernatural or a little bit of an occult theme to it. Uh, magic, uh, stage magic, I mean. Westerns uh, were big. You even had uh, you had sports pulps, you had technology pulps. So like train pulp, uh, train pulps. So, uh, let's see. So, you know, I mean, uh, and th those technology pulps were every bit as hard as what we consider hard science fiction. So very real, very realistic in their effects. But there was always that adventure. There's always that air mystery. There's always that air, that air of the unknown, that exo an exoticness. Um, a one of the uh, recent pulp masters, Will Murray, who does uh, the Doc Savage. Uh, novels right now uh, made uh, 1930s Oklahoma of all places sound as exotic as the far as the Far East and, you know it's just something that's you know oil uh, you know just the oil settings and the wild cattings it's that ability to take and see the you know see the mystery see the specialness and the uh, various people, places, settings, and stories that makes pulp. All right, very enlightening. So, now did, I hear, did I hear you correctly that there there is train pulp? Yes. Pulp? Uh, yes. Uh, um, I'll look that up. I'll. I'll look that I'll look that one up. I'll send it to you so we can uh, uh, put it on at the end, just so I'm not uh, constantly uh, uh, on Google during this uh, talk. Right. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. I would I would love to see an example of that, and we'll put it in the show notes for the folks at home to check out. But off the top of your head, can you think of any examples of a train pulp story or what the general plot would be? The one that I read, and it's on Jeff Dentiman's blog, uh, the author of The Cunning Blood, who 
excellent book if you uh, excellent book if you can read it if you uh, if you find uh, have a chance to read it I should say he uh, had a um, snippet of one of these train pulps and it was all about what happened um, the particular scene was what happens to a boiler when it gets stressed and it's about to blow and the pressure builds and you know it kind of a widow maker type uh event to it so yeah and, that's sorry no i was just gonna say that's that's a type of conflict that you don't really see a lot of anymore but i think it'd be very uh, fertile field for dramatic tension So you also mentioned detective stories and the subject of this show in particular is crime and suspense stories. So it, it sounds like we've already touched on the answer, but would you say that there are crime and suspense stories that do qualify as pulp? Certainly. Um, biggest one coming to mind is the shadow. Uh, not just the shadow, but the sh uh, with... Uh, his fight against crime, but the shadow was originally created to sell a detective story. I mean, it's this classic moment of you're on the radio, you're trying to sell your your detective pulps, and then you get the the entire who no, uh, who knows what evil lurks in the minds of men. There wasn't a shadow at that time. It's just there's creepy voice and everybody want everybody wanted that shadow detective story and the shadow the shadow also um kind of gets lost in the reprints is you had the shadow novel but you had like five or six mystery stories that got bundled into it not necessarily having to do with the shadow um now again there's more of an action feel to it. So like your classic sealed room mystery might not necessarily be pulp, uh, not, might not necessarily be pulp because the idea is more how done it than who done it or, right. but uh, you know, black mask. Uh, I think uh, uh, Raymond Chandler did a lot of his, um, sold a lot of stories to that, to that. So there's a, uh, as I mentioned, weird menace, where you're mixing kind of, kind of 1930s paranormal mystery, <laughs> and that got that got so popular and so strange that the uh, comics code uh, of the 1940s was basically put in place to make sure that comics didn't uh, spiral so sensationalist as Weird Menace did. Weird Menace actually got banned because it just went too far, it went too far. But there, you know, there's mm -hmm. always this mystery, uh, there's always the mystery detectives, um, the suspense, uh, especially suspense uh, with, uh, with the pulps. I mean, Absolutely, and also at this point, I'm gonna ask uh, if our second guest is back, Alfred, can you hear us? Yes, I'm here. Excellent, okay. So I wasn't sure if you'd heard what Nathan was just talking about, but what what is your definition of pulp? Oh, well, okay. Uh, I have seen uh, Kursova's definition recently, which I kind of 
which I like to an extent. Uh, if it appeared in a pulp magazine, it's pulp. Uh, it's mm -hmm. at least very applicable, very easy to apply. It doesn't extend as well to modern stories, um, but it's very easy to apply. Uh, it even applies easily to uh, paperbacks, you know, books that were actually issued as books at the time instead of just, oh, it's just in a magazine. No, this was issued on cheap paper initially, went through tons of printings and they just kept going. Lynn, would you agree that crime and suspense stories, and um, also we have a question from the, the chat, would true crime also be considered pulp? Absolutely. Uh, I heard a bit about the uh, comics code crackdown. Uh, part of that was also on uh, EC comics and also the crime comics, because the crime comics would actually be telling stories of crimes that happened uh you i mean obviously the more uh spectacular outlandish the better so they were talking generally very uh very violent and graphic stories uh but the, the biggest thing with the comics code was it was partly shut uh enacted to shut down ec comics so yeah that's a really long conversation that could be had somewhere uh but we don't have time for that here <laughs> it is and i'd love to have that sometime uh because I'm a huge EC fan. I bought all the Gladstone reprints as a kid. So, yeah, I'll have to make that a later show. Uh, there, uh, one thing I would like to mention, uh, there was, I've seen a couple mentions of a uh, earlier pulp revolution type movement, which I did see part of, and it didn't really extend into science fiction nearly as well. Uh, was uh, mostly in uh, actually in crime books. Uh, Hard Case Crime Publisher started out as part of that. Uh, but in the science fiction fantasy realm, the bulk of what we saw in the bookstores was stuff like uh, there were some Doc Savage and Shadow reprints, and that was about it, uh, that were actually available in the big brick-and-mortar bookstores. Uh, but the other indicator you can really see is if you go to, which that's only, this is only for now, I don't know how much longer we'll have Barnes & Noble, but you go into the discount section at Barnes & Noble, look at the collections of, it, of short stories that they have in there that they actually have made for themselves. So uh, right now I think the company, the publisher is listed as Fall River Press. That's a, that's a Barnes & Noble subsidiary. Uh, but they put out big, huge collections. They've got a Tarzan collection and a John Carter collection, but they've got a collection of Penny Dreadfuls. They've got a collection of like pirate adventure stories and so on, but they had collections of uh, mostly uh, noir stuff. There were some weird tales collections at that time too. So we're seeing a resurgence of that even at Barnes and Noble, even though well, you look in there, science fiction and fantasy section, they don't know what they're doing in there. And when it comes to their subsidiary collecting stories, yeah, they actually do. So I don't know what's going on in that front, but you can, there's a little bit of an indicator over there. I'd also want to point out Altus Press is uh, reissuing a lot of the old pulps right now. So 
I have uh, the spring 2017 uh, black mask uh, on my desk right now, right now. And it's a lot of the old classics, classic stories. And if they find a new story hidden away in a trunk or a vault or some or someplace by one of those authors, they might uh, add that to. Too, that brings so. up another question from my, yeah. That brings up another question from the chat. So, is most of this stuff that's getting reprinted public domain? The reprint stuff should be. Uh, beyond that, probably not. Um, or, sorry, the, a lot of the reprints will be. Um, some of the bigger stuff might not be. Like, I don't know about the Edgar Rice Burroughs collections being public domain. That's actually a very fuzzy area because. Burroughs lost a lot of his copyrights during his lifetime because somebody managing his corporation didn't maintain them. But some of them are still actually under copyright and some of them are not. So anyone can just put together a collection of stories. It's kind of strange. I mean, it really is story by story at, uh, at this point. Um, and uh, I know that there are guides out there. Uh, some of the some of the uh, others in the pulp revolution are better uh, know those guides, but it, you know, you can have like three, uh, like for instance, for the longest time, uh, you could print uh, uh, Henry Cutner and Seal Moore in print, but uh, but uh, e rights were uh, tied up for a good long time. Uh, you know, it's, it wasn't until recently that uh, that the ebooks came out. In fact, um, I got introduced to uh, Manly Wade Wellman because Bain had to replace uh, their Henry Cutner stories in an anthology uh, online with uh, with something else because of those because of rights issues. I see. So another question from the chat. Bit off topic, but so we've. Establish the true crime stories. Who qualifies pulp? Are there any other nonfiction genres that you gentlemen can think of that would have been popular in the pulp? Boxing. Robert E. Howard wrote boxing stories. Ah. Excellent example. Uh, good grief. I'm sure there were some late Western accounts because some of this stuff was still before while the so-called wild West was still somewhat unsettled. I know Walter Gibson, uh, writer of the shadow used to write a lot of, ma of, uh, stage magic, uh, articles during the time. I don't recall offhand if those, uh, if those made their ways into pulp magazines or into a, uh, into something else. Well, it's really eye-opening to hear about these these genres and types of fiction that used to be in popular magazines and we, we just don't have. Like, Westerns are starting to make a comeback, but they were all but gone. And then I've never heard about train or stage magic stories before today, so I've learned something. For What's stage magic? Um... Stage magic is actually pretty interesting once you go into uh, the actual authors themselves. Uh, 
a good many of the pulp writers were amateur mag magicians. So they brought that misdirection from the uh, stage into their pulps. Um, stage magic, uh, Diamond Stone uh, is, one that comes to, is one that comes to mind that's been recently reprinted. You should be able to find it uh, in the ebook. Okay, you just made a huge connection because I know guys like John C. Wright and Jeff Rowe have likened the process of writing and achieving that surprising yet inevitable kind of twist to stage magic. And so now you're, you're saying that that's literally true. Like that, that happened to stage magicians figure out how to write that into their stories. Yeah, I mean, as I, as I said, uh, the biggest one that comes to mind is uh, Walter Gibson, uh, Maxwell Grant of The Shadow, basically. So he knows the shadow. Uh, shadow has all those tools of mis of misdirection, uh, of from magic, and he's taking a little bit. You know, he's taking a little bit from the gentleman thief, uh, of like an Arsene Lupin, and uh, giving those mag uh, giving a little different aim and uh, all those uh, misdirection tricks to to uh, create something new. That makes so much sense that I can't believe I missed it. See, you just gave me a surprising yet inevitable twist. Well done. <laughs> so we're about out of time. So, Alfred, was there anything you wanted to add? Ooh. Um, Put you on the spot. That I wanted to, anything more I wanted to add? Um, anything. Check out Mickey Spillane if you haven't. Uh, he wrote some really great stuff that's been kept in, that a lot of it has been kept in print. Uh, Max Allen Collins has been basically gotten, gotten a third career wave, finishing off stuff that he hadn't finished, including some Westerns, but he's been doing some more My Camera stuff. Uh, and it's all really good. Uh, but... Yeah, check out Mickey Spillane. Check out Max Allen Collins. Uh, Spillane, my copy of I, the Jury is from like 73 or something like that. And at that time, the, co the cover from it says that at that time, the book had sold something like six, over 6 million copies. So it's just mind-boggling how popular some book, books used to be. All right, excellent. So, Nathan, was there anything that you wanted to draw attention to, you know, any blog or, or project that I think folks should check out. Well, um, first, the first things first, um, yeah, for all those pulp uh, fans who are looking at being writer, uh, Robert Turner has a booklet called uh, Pulp Fiction. That's really worth, uh, worth a read. Um, bringing up uh, specifically because uh, he recommended getting your start in detective film uh, and detective pulps first, as mm -hmm. the uh, audience was a little bit more discriminating than some of the rest. As far as projects, um, Puppy of the Month uh, book club is about ready to uh, reveal its next uh, its uh, next book selection uh, tomorrow. So uh, check it. You know, stop by for that, and um, I'm hoping to do a. I'm hoping to do a 
series on gentlemen thieves. I don't know which blog it's going to uh, go on, but at, uh, I'm looking at doing uh, uh, Arsene Lupin, uh, Lupin the Third, Raffles, just kind of going through the gentleman thief, especially because a lot of pulps were uh, influenced by uh, that anti, you know, that anti-hero criminal type. Outstanding. I can definitely second you guys checking out Puppy of the Month Book Club. They've reviewed my first two books, Nithereal and Soul Dancer. Terrific, in-depth, highly insightful interview. In fact, I would say that Nathan is the one reviewer who has, who has found things that I thought no one would notice. He's caught references that I was sure no one would find and no one else has found. So... His reviews are great. Um, Injustice Gamer, Alfred's website, has reviewed all three of my books. And again, also, um, not not as sprawling, not as he doesn't paint on as grand a tapestry, a, a canvas, I, as Puppy of the Month Book Club does. But um, I try to keep no, moving. That's part of my problem. <laughs> no, no, it's not a problem at all. It's, they're, they're great together. Okay, you got the short game and long game. You know, perfect. I, I recommend both. And check out my award-winning Soul Cycle series available right now from Amazon and CreateSpace. Uh, right now, the ebooks are on sale. So you can get all three books for less than nine dollars. And the third one, Secret Kings, it's ninety-nine cents um, this month. Also, I advise you to click below and subscribe. And remember, because uh, you've got to subscribe twice, you got to click subscribe bell icon. So this has been Gab on the books. This is Brian Emeyer with that special guest, Nathan Osley and Alfred Jennison, reminding you to keep reading.